why don't we just get along? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hear the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hear of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Brian Bozick, and with me is Aaron Armstrong. And today, we're just going to have an appeal to hug it all out. Uh, we don't hug, no. No, you, not you and me. No. Just in general. I don't think we're allowed to hug right now, anyway. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because of because yeah. of the COVID. So, yeah. um, metaphorically, hug it out. We're going to hypothetically hug, hug it out via Zoom. And from a distance. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Still with masks on. Yes. Um, I'm recording today with we, mask on right now. <laughs> we, we, are, uh, we are starting uh, kind of being silly as we are prone to do at times. But it's this is afternoon. really a serious... It's the afternoon. It's, this is really a serious topic, of course. We're talking about the unity of the church. Mm-hmm. And as we know, if, if anybody's listened to this uh, podcast at all, you probably have heard us refer to the Twitters and uh, the pain that we see on that platform. And it's not just there, social media in general, uh, so many different ways that we see the church today, in America at least, seems to have this affinity toward disunity mm-hmm. rather than unity. And uh, I, I th- so this is a timely episode um, that we're going to talk about the unity of the church and so what we're going to do is, is you're going to read the doctrine as, as usual, and we're actually going to go to several verses, probably a little bit more than we normally would. But I think it's important that we do this because uh, kind of tip, tip the cards early on. I don't want anybody thinking that this doctrine is kind of one off on the side that's a minor doctrine, you know, not on the same par with the other 98 of our 99 essential doctrines, for example. I, I want it to be seen that this is important. This is really important, as we're going to see from John 17 alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why I think it's good for us to bring to bear many scripture passages to show this is not just an obscure idea. This is an important one. Yeah. And it's actually so important that, um, you know, about Four years ago, I think it was, maybe five years ago coming up on now, um, it was one of the, as we were reviewing our 99 Essential Doctrines as uh, preparing for the lead up to the current study that we're we're going through in the Gospel Project, we realized this was missing. Yeah. And so we, <laughs> and, and it is, it is so important that we, that we made some changes and we made sure to get it in because it had to be here. So, um, so that just shows you how how strongly we feel about this, and you'll and you'll hear why once you once you get this. So, this is the unity of the church. Christ's desire for the church is that we be united as one in Him by the gospel, reflecting the oneness of our Trinitarian God. As such, we are to allow for no divisions to separate us, such as ethnicity, socioeconomics, nationality, language, politics, or secondary doctrinal beliefs. Our objective is not simply to work around or look past these differences within the body of Christ, but to celebrate the diversity of God's people made one in Christ demonstrating humility and freely loving and forgiving one another to reflect the power of Christ who reconciles all things to himself. 
So there's a lot there. A lot, a lot, a lot there. Yeah. But the big idea here is, is that the gospel makes us one. And because we are one, we are compelled to love one another. Yeah, that's right. And again, we're there's a that's a packed. It's a dense, dense uh, doctrine definition. Um, and what you can't see is, as Aaron read it, is is that doctrine as we have it printed has a lot of the references we're going to be looking at in a minute. So it's it's even more dense when you look at it on, on on a page. So what I want us to do now is I want us to kind of walk through these these references that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron, I'll let you go first, and you kind of. Go we if behind the scenes we have show notes that we share and so we have this on a list and so Aaron you go ahead and start working down the list as far as you want to go and then let me tag in and we'll just keep going back and forth until we work through them. Yeah, that sounds good. So I'm gonna handle at least first couple. Uh, I'm gonna camp out in Philippians for a little bit. So uh, thinking about unity as being uh, we're united for Christ. Um, We see this in Philippians 2, the first couple of verses, where it says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And so you see this, 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 this unity, this united language and this picture of the people in Philippi being one together, not allowing for any kind of division between them and because, and they're this because of the gospel. Um, and we see, um, we see that this unity calls us to humility a little bit later in verses five through 11. So that, uh, where it says that we are to adopt the same attitude as that of G- Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is so much there. This, this, just this idea of adopting this attitude, think about the humility of Christ and what he did to reconcile us all together. And so Peter says, in the most appropriate way possible, be like Jesus. He was hum- he humbled himself for you. Humble yourselves because of him and in him. Yeah. Yeah, it was his humility that allowed for our unity with him. Yeah. Um, and I think that's Paul's argument there as well, is that we have to follow that model. Um, you left me with, again, one of my favorite passages in this subject, and it's John 17. It's the high priestly prayer often called, or part of it, verses 20 through 23 specifically. So the context of this is important. If, if you're not familiar with this, this is in the upper room uh, just before uh, Jesus is going to go out into the garden with his disciples, be betrayed and arrested, and, and then, of course, crucified. Um 
And so this, this is in those waning moments, literally, with his disciples before all those events will transpire. Christ, of course, knows this. Um, and so he's praying. And it's fascinating in this. It's called the high priestly prayer because you would expect that he's praying for himself. And he does a little bit. But it's mostly praying for his disciples and what they're going to experience and us through them. It's fascinating that in this prayer, he prays for us literally. Uh, he prays for those who would believe through their witness. So by extension, we're included. So you see there the humility, again, that you just read about in Philippians of Christ, that he has us in mind. He, he cares about us here as we're seeing this prayer. So this is what we see when it, it considers unity in verse 20, starting. In, and again, before we dive into this, another kind of quick thing, we have to remember the Trinity, the nature of the triune God that we have perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, perfect unity, perfect harmony, perfect love. You got to file that away. So verse 20, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one, and here it comes, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. This is jarring. Christ is calling us not to just any run-of-the-mill unity. He is calling us to a unity that is modeled on the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This is why this, this passage alone, I would argue, is why this doctrine is so important. Christ prayed for this. It was one of the, the final things he prayed for before the arrest. I think it's important. And he prays for unity that is so amazing. This goes beyond just getting along, kind of the leading question. This, this goes, we are to, to be one in love and fellowship and an unbreakable bond. And this is why it breaks my heart when I, we don't see this in the church being practiced as much as we need to see it. Because notice what Jesus says, this unity, it not only benefits us, but it's a way that we reveal the gospel to the world around us. We reveal the truthfulness of God by our unity. So our disunity is actually contrary to the gospel. We are preaching against the gospel when we allow unity to be severed, especially for the silly reasons we find to sever unity today. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And thinking about unity a little bit more and silly reasons to divide, First um, Corinthians one ten <laughs> speaks directly to this, in in that it says, uh, "Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction." Now that is that's really important because again, this is not talking about. Um, this is not saying that there's not room for disagreement about certain things. Yeah. This is about the core of the core of the core. This is essentials about what the gospel is that that really um, that, that 
really is largely being addressed in in first Corinthians anyway. So and their and their issues of matters of, um, you know, licentious living um, amongst them <laughs> um, because they were a mess. So there is a so this is but this is that point that in the gospel we are to strive to agree. We are to strive to not be divided. Um, we have to be very, very careful about what we choose to divide over. And so, you know, we don't we don't need to divide over, um, you know, what color of shirt you're wearing today. We don't need to divide over um, what someone does or does not. Um, you know, does not what kind of grape juice someone likes to drink. Um, <laughs> you know, these kinds of things that are the sil- the silly examples that I can throw out there, but actually do have a really serious, um, have some serious implications. Um, so even though I'm making light, there is, uh, there, there needs to be, uh, there ne- it needs to be said. But uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 through 13 speaks to this as well. This, this whole idea of that when we, when we are united in the gospel, we are, we are one. And so we can't, uh, we can't separate from each other quite that easily because we need one another. And so it says for just as the, the body is one and has many parts and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. And so that is, and so it goes on to say, it's like, can, you know, can one part of the body say to another that I have no need need of you? And this is that, this is a little bit of where we get this, um, you know, the saying of cutting off your nose to spite your face. Yeah. Um, you can't do those things. You, you, the body only works to works when it's working together as one. Definitely. And I, Paul picks up on this idea or he doesn't pick up. He, he returns to it again in Ephesians four, specifically four through six and 11 through 13. And again, he's going to use the body as this metaphor to talk about unity for the reasons you just expressed. But it's not just a unity where we all are the same. Unity and sameness are not the same. Um, Unity allows for beautiful diversity. And think about the body. You have different parts of the body, but they are united in one purpose. And so that's what he argues in Ephesians 4, again, starting in verse 4. There is one body, and notice how many times he says one here, one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. And so you have this idea of oneness, but then notice in 11, he, he continues, and he himself gave some to be apostles, not all, some, some prophets, again, not all, some, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So these diverse roles all work together for the same purpose of building up the one body of Christ until what? Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So when we think about unity, it's really important we remember this. 
It does not mean that we all have to necessarily believe the exact same thing. There's difference, differences in secondary and tertiary doctrines, for example. Uh, what grape juice you just mentioned, uh, it, there's room for disagreement. We don't have to all agree to the same brand of that. Uh, but the core gospel, we do have to be agreed on, and we play different roles in this. So diversity and unity are designed to go hand in hand. Yes, definitely. And because of that, unity requires humility. Again, we talked about it from one perspective earlier, uh, the humility of Christ and how that leads us to humble ourselves. But this is this is really uh, the next couple of verses that that I'm going to just run through really speak to our individual need to pursue humility for the sake of unity. So think about Romans 12, 3 and 12, 16. So for the, by the by the grace given me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. And so so this is important because we don't hold every there there's a certain standard that we hold everyone to but we we understand that not everyone is uh is created equal in in this respect um i mean you see this god has distributed a measure of faith to each one those who have have faith they have faith some people express it a little bit differently some people will um some people are more prone to struggle through their faith um than others um, and so the, these things require us to be humble yeah, and to be gracious with one another. Um, and that leads to 1216, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So in other, in other words, paralleling what he said earlier um, when he said um, uh, to not think of yourself more highly than you ought, He's saying, be wise in your own estimation. So think rightly about yourself. Humility is so important to unity. Understanding who you are and thinking rightly about yourself. Not being an arrogant such and such. That's, that is one of the key things that leads to unity. Yeah. People don't want to be around arrogant people. And, and that kind of goes to the next passage, Colossians 3. You know, when, when humility, as you're saying, Aaron, is so essential to this. And along with that come the ideas of grace and patience. And, and by grace here, it is more of our grace toward one another, not necessarily God's grace to us. Although, of course, that's a factor in here. But our, us being graciousness toward one another, us being patient with one another. And if we're humble, we're going to be more prone to do that because arrogance says, well, no, that person's wronged me and we lack patience. Humility says, I, I, I'm going to defer to that person. So Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and clearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. 
above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So we could argue that love is the motivator behind even the humility that we're talking about. And then two other verses, and then we'll, we'll kind of move on to the next part of, of our outline of how we approach these. Psalm 133.1 is a reminder of why this is worth it. We, Jesus talked about this in John 17. I think we see it in other ways. But another reason why we need to fight for unity is it delights God. And Psalm 133.1 tells us that point blank, how delightfully good when brothers live together in harmony. Um, you know, it, it is when it's good, not just for us, it's good for God. As we looked at it in John 17, we reflect who God is to the watching world. Our unity is to be bearing out the unity of God himself. So it delights him. And then the last one is Ephesians 2, 14, which is a reminder that all of this talk about unity, it's possible only because of Christ. Because here we read, for he, meaning Christ, is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. So we're reminded there that Christ is the one who brings about unity, makes it all possible. So we have taken quite a bit of time walking through these. Aaron, we've talked about some of the cautions and, and needs of understanding in them. So we can kind of pick up the pace a little bit here in this, these next two sessions as we, or sections as we kind of wrap up our time together, but let's still make sure we, we clarify a couple of things. So let's think about cautions and any notes of understanding. Is there anything that kind of stands out to you that deserves mention again or something to introduce into our conversation? Yeah, a lot of these, uh, a lot of the next couple of things that we're going to, we're going to talk about here are, are really doubling down on some key things that we have hit on as we've discussed each passage that we have have um you know shotgunned our way through but um one of the but this bears repeating which is that unity does not negate diversity or another way to say it is uni unity does not equal uniformity and so um Unity demands agreement on first level doctrines. So again, so those are those those really, really core core things, the big E's on the I charts, if you will. Um, beyond that, anything um, anything that is is secondary or beyond, there can be and should be diversity. Um, there is a, there, there's a quote, um, sometimes attributed to Augustine, not necessarily actually him, but, um, in essentials, unity in, in not in doubtful matters, liberty, and in all things, charity. So, um, we hear that thrown, thrown around a lot, but it is actually important yeah. and is worth, is worth holding on to because, those things are true. And those are the things that actually make true biblical unity work. It's unity within diversity. Um, and, and, you know, it's, a, I mean, that's, and that's actually the meaning of a university even, <laughs> um, which is honestly, if we want to, if we want another side conversation in the future is, you know, something we need to re-embrace on, on multiple levels. But, um, you know, but that leads into into this second this second reality that unity is not icing on the cake. So, um, to so it is not something that is a nice to have for us. It is a must yeah. have. So a united and united local church is essential to the gospel. A united 
universal church is essential to the gospel. It is the work of the gospel, and it is the display of the gospel. So a divided church doesn't reflect God's intent for the church and yeah. doesn't, doesn't accurately reflect the fruit of the gospel. So we need to be united, especially in our mission to make disciples. Yeah. And I think the, the third thing I think worth mentioning again, and this one we may not have hit on as much, but just to be clear, um, when we think about being unified by the gospel, that's what's essential. And we would say, all right, what's going to bring about unity? That last verse we read, it's Christ unifies. But we may need to take other steps as well. Um, so think about Acts 15. Think about the Jerusalem Council. They are trying to figure out the basis of what really is necessary for a Gentile convert to be saved. And they land, rightly, of course, we would all applaud them, of course, and say, yes, it's only the gospel that saves you. You're saved by faith alone. Uh, these Gentiles do not have to step through Judaism to get to, to Christian faith. But then we can't miss it. So the gospel. But we can't miss it that the Jerusalem Council provides other steps to take to preserve unity. So it's not a gospel issue necessarily. It's not, this is to be saved to preserve unity. It is, all right, the gospel is central, but there's a practical expression of how we live, love toward one another, humility and so forth, as we just talked about. And they say, hey, in order so that we don't cause feathers to be ruffled unnecessarily, we want to encourage you to do these, I think it's three things. Um, so there are practical steps we can take as well. So we will hear sometimes people say, well, just preach the gospel. That's the key for unity. It is the core, yes. It's the foundation, yes. But I would argue it's not the sole thing. We don't just preach the gospel. We have to live differently. So let me give you a, a silly example, a silly illustration. Wearing a hat in worship. I grew up, and culture has changed a little bit as well. It used to be many years ago, you just didn't wear hats indoors. It was rude and so forth. That softened, but there was still a lot of people who would say, you don't wear a hat in church. And there are some people listening right now who are probably saying, yeah, that, you don't do it. Um, I've been in churches where it's, it's acceptable to wear a hat in church. Uh, it's not thought of, and it's okay. And so it, that context, it's permissible. So what do you do if you come from a context of wearing a hat in church and you find yourself in a context where they don't wear hats? This is not a gospel issue. Preaching the gospel alone is not going to resolve it, is it? No. So what do we do? There may be extra steps. So that person may say, I'm going to choose to abstain from wearing a hat, even though I don't necessarily agree that I have to, but for the good of the church, I'm going to abstain. I'm going to take extra steps. Or conversely... The opposite might happen. Somebody who is used to not wearing hats and they go visit a congregation where people are wearing hats, they may have to defer in that moment. Or you just say, I'm just not going to worry about it or whatever. So there are practical steps that we may take. Now, again, this is a silly example, but there's a serious tension underneath of it, undergirding it. And we see this in some weightier issues today. We, we can see our, the church is wrestling with some of these things about areas of disunity in our culture and what the solution is. What is the church to do? And some would say, we just preach the gospel, just preach Jesus. I, I don't think that's sufficient. Nor would it be correct to say, well, we find unity by other ways that apart from the gospel. 
Uh, we No, that's, that's an error as well. I believe this is one of those areas that we see at both and. Again, going back to Acts 15, it's both and. We put the gospel first and primary, but there are necessary implications of the gospel of what it looks like to live in humility, to live in, with charity and grace and so forth. And so there may be a cause for the church to say, what else can we do because the gospel is true to show the gospel is true and beautiful in how we live and how we deal with these issues of disunity that are cropping up? So again, this there gets a lot of tension and uh, some, uh, some bickering even about mm-hmm. this. Um, so... Anybody listening, you can probably figure out and connect the dots of, of where I'm going with that. So let's talk about uh, the differences this doctrine should make. Um, Aaron, w- what differences do you see? And again, we've already um, hit on a lot of these, so it may just be a have, summary. Yeah, let's just do a quick summary here. But uh, but there are three big ideas that that I want us to, to remember as we walk away from this discussion or turn off our, our earbuds. Um So the first is this, that many would see this as one of the more important issues of our time. And I mean, you think about how, regardless of, regardless of views on certain, on certain issues, take a, just take a few minutes and reflect on, um, the way that public discourse, um, both in in general, but also within the in within profess the, within the church, um, within the body of believers, um, whether you're thinking locally or beyond, how that has changed in the last ten years. Do it does the way that we fight. Does that reflect the gospel? Does it reflect? the the va- and va- the value that scripture places upon unity or does it say that we are or or does it reflect a functional denial of the gospel and the functional denial of this need for unity that comes from the gospel that's number 1 number 2 is uh is that this doctrine really does make some serious demands of us in really, really practical ways. So it, it requires us to think about the words that we say and the things that we post and the things that we tweet and, uh, you know, and the things that we text, all of these things that, um, you know, one of the really helpful things to remember is, is that behind every, uh, behind every pixel is a person on on social media when you're engaging with someone you're not engaging with the the idea of a person you're you're engaging with a person and so your conduct and my conduct and all of our conduct it needs to reflect that so and 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 i feel very strongly about that because i have made that mistake over and over and over again where i've just been an arrogant such and such and it has not been good for me it has not been good for anybody and it has not reflected uh well upon the gospel and so you know so um that's one of those things that it drives me to be very cautious about the things that i say publicly 
um, which might surprise people because of the sometimes the jokes that I make with you on this. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, one of the things that um, that I do is a really practical thing that is helpful for me is is I have a running document of things I can't tweet. Um, sometimes I sometimes just because I I need to get it out to somebody. I'll text it over to Brian or I'll text it over to someone else who, who can just affirm. Yeah. Don't say that. <laughs> but, uh, yep. um, you know, or, you know, and occasionally it's just an opportunity to grouse together and, uh, and we're united in our grumbling. <laughs> there but, you go. Uh, there we go. But, uh, but that, is, that really, sp- and this really speaks to this last thing, which is that unity requires intentional effort. We have to work to be united. Um, it's just like how DA Carson and many other people have, have, have expressed this idea of we don't drift toward holiness. We, in the same way we have to, we have to work at it with the help of the Holy spirit. In the same way, we don't drift toward unity. We must work for it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Unity is not possible without his work in us and through us. And so it requires us to act and it requires us to be considerate. It requires us to think carefully about how we can unite together for the glory of God and for the good of the gospel. That's a good word to end on. I, um, I want to thank you for sticking with us, listening to this episode. It's been a little bit longer. We've we've talked about this stuff quite a bit. So thank you for persevering and staying with us. Notice the pun there of unity. Um, but we do hope that this has been meaningful to you. This is a really important, you can hear it's on our hearts, heavily on our hearts. Um, I don't think we're alone. I think a lot of people listening probably are saying, yeah, this this is an important conversation. So we hope it's been worth your time walking through this. And I do, again, want to thank you for listening to this episode today. And if you have enjoyed it, please do leave us this here five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry in the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. 